1: And thank you for standing by. Welcome to Sprout Inc.'s 2020 First Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for an operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded May 8, 2020. On behalf of the speakers that follow, listeners are cautioned that today's presentation and responses to questions may contain forward-looking statements within the meaning of the safe harbor provision of the Canadian Provincial Securities Law. Forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties and undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Certain material factors or assumptions are implied in making forward-looking statements and actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. For additional information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations about material factors or assumptions applied in making forward-looking statements, please consult the MDNA for the quarter and Spratt's other filings with the Canadian Securities Regulations. I will now turn the call over to Peter Gruskoff. Please go ahead, Mr. Gruskoff.
2: Thank you Operator. Good morning everyone and thanks for joining us today. On the call with me today is Whitney George, the President of Sprott, our Chief Financial Officer Kevin Hibbert, and John Chimpaglia, the Chief Executive of Sprott Asset Management. Our Q1 results were released this morning and are available on our website. Um, just one second, sorry on our website where you can also find our financial statements and MD&A. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we certainly are in unprecedented times and that the landscape has changed. The impacts are far-reaching and our thoughts are with those who have been the hardest hit. At SPROT, we are amongst the fortunate few that can say that the new landscape has unequivocally helped our business. Coming into the year, we were positioned with a view that markets were priced for perfection, which was associated mostly with a dependency on monetary stimulus. Our focus on gold provided an insurance for those conditions. At Sprott, we implemented our business continuity plan in March, and we've been operating at full capacity and at full speed in a mostly remote environment. I'm pleased to report the entire team has responded well to this new reality and the transition for us has been virtually seamless. I'll begin on slide 4 with some recent highlights. As the market sold off in the early stages of the COVID crisis, gold performed its traditional role as as a portfolio insurance asset and a source of liquidity. At first, it sold off steeply with other assets as investors sold everything they needed to to meet margin calls. However, once global governments responded to the ensuing liquidity crisis with unprecedented stimulus and money printing, gold quickly recovered and is currently trading around $1,700 an ounce up more than 10% on the year. As we have seen in previous crises, bullion demand recovers first and then is later followed by a resurgence into gold equities. So far, 2020 is unfolding the same way with mining equities starting to break out as this rotation occurs with gains of more than 40% during the months of April, and that's very pertinent to our uh, quarter end report because our, our positions uh, had, had the same effect. The increased demand for precious metal investments was reflected in our net sales for the quarter which were more than $620 million. Our AUM increased by 16% during the quarter and is up by more than 30% on a year-to-date basis as of May 6th. With precious metals poised for what we believe will be a multi-year upswing, we believe the time is right for Sprott to pursue a U.S. listing. We're in a process of applying for that listing on the NYSE and hope to have it complete during Q2. The majority of our 150,000 plus clients are based in the U.S. or internationally, and we believe this listing will increase our profile and attract a diverse new group of institutional and retail shareholders. At the same time, we intend to complete a share consolidation to support the listing. This proposal will be voted on later today at our AGM and could be implemented as soon as next week. With that, I'll pass it over to Kevin for a review of our financial results before discussing each of our
0: core segments in more detail. Kevin? Thanks, Peter, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, just as a reminder, beginning this quarter, we've transitioned our presentation currency to U.S. dollars. And as such, all figures discussed today are in that currency. So uh, I'll begin on slide five, which provides a summary of our AUM as at March 31st, 2020, as well as a snapshot of our current pro forma AUM estimate as at May 6th, 2020. Uh, AUM as at March 31st was $10.7 billion dollars, up $1.5 billion, or 16% from December 31, 2019. Uh, Our AUM benefited largely from the successful close of the Tocqueville Gold Strategies acquisition earlier this quarter, strong inflows into our physical trusts, and good inflows into our lending funds and private equity strategies in Asia. Uh, These increases were partially offset by market value depreciation from lower silver prices and weak equity market valuations that occurred during the last two weeks of March. However, subsequent to quarter end, uh, the company quickly recovered all of these unrealized market value losses and as a result, our pro forma AUM estimate as of May 6, 2020 uh, is $12.1 billion, moving our total AUM up an additional 13% from the quarter end. Uh, lastly, moving now to slide 6 for a look at our Q1 2020 earnings. Adjusted-base EBITDA in the quarter was $8.2 million, up $1.3 million, or 18% from the prior period. Uh, the increase was primarily due to, again, the Tocqueville Gold Strategies acquisition earlier this quarter. Uh, increased fees from strong net inflows in our exchange-listed products, And we also benefited from increased commission revenues in our brokerage segment due to higher transaction volumes. Uh, These increases were partially offset by lower finance income in our lending segment given the repayment of legacy balance sheet loans and higher capital distribution levels in our lending LPs last year, all of which more than offset increased management fees in our lending business from ongoing capital calls. For uh, more information on our revenues, our expenses, and EBITDA, you can refer to the Supplemental Information section of this presentation, as well as our Q1 2020 md filed earlier this morning. That said, I'll turn things over to John.
3: Great. Thanks, Kevin, and good morning to everybody. I'm very happy to share our results uh, in the PASAS business, which uh, has been an incredible driver of our AUM growth uh, over the last uh, about two months. Um, what we've seen has really been unprecedented in terms of the demand response we're seeing from all types of investors around the globe for physical metal and this was really a perfect storm because it coincided with the disruption to the complete uh, global supply chain um, with mines closing, logistics closing down and refineries closing down, so at a time when people were looking for physical metal, it was incredibly difficult to find. What we're seeing right now is a slow restart um, of the supply chain, um, but I would I would say that we are still benefiting from this disruption because um, many of these refiners are not operating at full capacity. There are social distancing measures being put in place inside the facilities. And there still is a physical tightness in the market uh, while demand remains very high. Um, year-to-date, as of May 6th, the, the trusts have grown by 20%, which is really incredible in the context of silver being down 17% year-to-date. And I, I would think most asset managers are seeing 15 to 20% losses in AUM um, across uh, traditional asset classes. The, the year-to-date sales have been incredibly strong in the last two months. Uh, We're at 1.1 billion U.S., um, and you can see in April, we really had a spike of almost 600 million, um, and the pace for May remains quite strong. Uh, Up until yesterday, we were through 120 million of, of, of additional sales, so the momentum we're seeing has been very strong. What's interesting is the sales are coming from, I would call, more sophisticated investors uh, larger, m- larger funds, uh, family offices, institutions, REAs, um, and so yes, there is there is unprecedented demand for at the retail level for coins and bars, which they can't find right now. But what we're seeing is demand from in- institutions that are, are trying to hedge, uh, primarily equity risk, uh, moving away from low yielding fixed income and, and whatnot. If we move to the next slide. I thought this slide provides uh, some good historical uh, background in terms of gold-backed ETF holdings. And these are, this is a worldwide measure of all ounces of gold held through ETFs. And you can see that this um, uptick um, started well before the outbreak of COVID-19. It really started back in June of 2019 when gold broke through a psychological level of around $1,360 dollars. Um, obviously, COVID-19 has accelerated the gains, um, and you can see that uh, even though we're at $1,700 gold, gold ETFs are at record level uh, compared to 2012, when gold was at, uh, you know, had, had breached its $1,900 level in U.S. dollar terms. We think that you know gold at 1700 is, is is going to be in high demand. It's been very resilient around that, that price level. Uh, any kind of dip in pricing, we're seeing buyers come in and add to their positions. Uh, we think the next stop for gold is around $1,800, and it will eventually breach its all-time high in US dollars, uh, just over $1,900 an ounce. So we think um, we're still very early in the cycle. One thing we've noticed from a lot of our conversations is that uh, many of these investors and these institutions are still very under-allocated to gold and gold stocks. Uh, many of them have not invested in the category for many years, and I think that there's a lot of dry powder there to fuel the next leg of this bull market. And I will pass it over to Whitney now.
4: Thank you, John. Um, I'll start on slide 9 and uh, talk a little bit about our managed equities business, um, which is a real scalable business um, now that we have um, successfully integrated John Hathaway and the rest of the Tocqueville Gold Team, um, starting back in January, um, welcomed them to our new New York office, which we then promptly had to close down because of COVID-19 and eager to get back. Um, we uh, onboarded um, all of their products um, uh, very efficiently. Um, there was some attrition expected, as there always is with this kind of um, this kind of transfer. Um, but again, all well within what our expectations were um, when we were um, uh, pricing this transaction. Um, we recently hired Dr. Nikki Edshed Bell uh, as a portfolio manager. Um, Nikki is a very, very uh, interesting addition because not only does she have experience um, investing in, analyzing uh, gold equities, she's served on several uh, boards of mining companies and, in fact, was CEO uh, of a mining company, uh, which she turned around and then sold. Uh, She will chair our ESG committee um, because she has uh, real-life experience um, on the ground um, and just brings a set of capabilities that I don't believe uh, any other investment firm in our space, um, you know, can match. Uh, as it was mentioned earlier, there's been a sharp recovery in AUM, principally uh, based on uh, market. Um, as Peter mentioned, uh, the gold equities generally were up over 40% in April. They continue uh, uh, their rise um, this, this month. And I'm pleased to report that virtually all of our products have positive performance Uh, year-to-date, and most of them double digits. Uh, And I think that's something that uh, we're very fortunate uh, to have at this point in time with all the uncertainties out there. Um, Gold stocks, we think, are poised to be the new growth stocks. Um, Obviously, the higher metal prices will drive revenue. uh, But at the same time, uh, costs are well-contained, energy and labor being two of the largest components. Uh, so we think that there is an enormous opportunity for a V-shaped recovery in this industry as things open up uh, with margin expansion, uh, earnings growth, and many of the features that are going to be very difficult to find you know, in most other sectors. Um, so I think we're very well positioned. Uh, we're very fortunate to have John and his team join the Toronto team um, and all of the other technical experts that we have here at Sprout and um, uh, we look forward to um, finding lots of new customers. Thank you, back to Peter.
2: Thank you, Whitney. I'll now turn to slide 10 to look at uh, some of our private strategies. We recently closed our second private resource lending fund which raised uh, over 820 million in committed capital. Uh, we are now in an ideal position res- to respond to a robust pipeline of opportunities. Activities is, are really ramping up and we've signed multiple commitments in recent weeks and have a uh, total pipeline of over $500 million when fully accounted for. During the first quarter, we had drawn down $60 million of this fund. Uh, in Q4, 2019, we launched a new project participation vehicle with uh, $210 million in lead orders. Um, we, are, we believe this is a, becoming an important new market for institutional funding into mining projects, and we're currently looking at a number of deals for this vehicle. We've uh, completed one to date and have an active pipeline, so that will join us as a sister fund to the uh, lending fund going forward. Uh, The fundraising for this fund has has, uh, been put off until the fall uh, because we are just going to work on deploying the money we have committed to to date. Um, Turning to slide 11 for some closing comments, the outlook for precious metals has rarely been more positive. The monetary and fiscal stimulus as well as the heavy hand of government intervention that has been unleashed in response to COVID-19 is like nothing we've ever seen and we will be, we believe we'll be paying for it for many years to come. Global debt levels are completely unsustainable and uh, financial repression through negative real rates will now become a standard policy tool for governments globally. Uh, this environment is extremely positive for gold. At Sprott, we're focused on driving growth in our core strategies first and foremost and to drive this growth organically. Our physical trusts are the perfect product for these times and we're the main beneficiaries of investor flows during Q1 and for the year to date. But as Whitney noted, we believe it's now gold stocks time to shine and we expect great things from our managed equities business in the months ahead. We're determined to capitalize on this current opportunity and position SPROT for the future. We are exploring complementary product line expansions. Uh, We've certainly increased our virtual marketing activity and this has proven to be a remarkably effective way for us to grow our funds. And we will also pursue um, some new international distribution agreements in select markets. We do. We are convinced that the timing is right for us to step onto the larger stage with the NYSE listing. And we think there are synergies between our large client base in the U.S. and uh, a share position in that market. We look forward to introducing our company to a broader group of investors during the latter half of this year. That concludes our remarks for today's call, and I'll now pass it back to the operator for uh, questions. Certainly,
1: ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from the line of Gary Ho from Desjardins. Your question, please.
5: Thanks and uh, and good morning, everyone. Sorry, I jumped on the call late. Um, can you provide some additional color on the flows that you're seeing so far in Q two? I think you highlighted, you know, some of the fiscal and ETFs business. Um, maybe a little, just a little bit more granular color in, in, into uh, into your different segments.
2: Yeah, I'll pass that to Kevin, and and perhaps John can comment as well.
0: Yeah, and and, and uh, forgive me, but I'll, I'll pass it on to John. He's got he's got a lot more insight into that.
3: Sure. Hi, Gary. Good morning. Um, you know what we're, we're we're seeing obviously are the the, the liquid type strategies um, in the physical metal in the physical metal space are really attracting a lion's share of the flows. So post post Q one um, in the trusts, um, we've seen about seven hundred million U.S. of additional flows. Um, you know, and that's uh, in just about five weeks. So the pace that we're seeing um, has been very strong um, and with about 120 of that coming in May so the pace is not uh, falling off um, I said last time on the call that you know goal at $1600 is very constructive for us us to raise capital and now obviously at about 1715 f- that kind of validated my point um, we're seeing lots of interest and you know I think we, we often think about the world. Of from a from a U.S. centric lens, but if you take a step back and think about price of gold and every other currency but U.S. dollars, um, it's at all time highs. So we're we're seeing investors from around the world looking for physical gold products. Um, we are raising capital in the silver. Silver is a very different story, as you know. It's it's a monetary metal and an industrial metal. The industrial metal side uh, side of the equation obviously has fallen off, but uh, when silver hit uh, below $12 an ounce, we saw an incredible demand response um, from silver investors, which tend to be much more uh, uh, price sensitive. Um, and, and you know, in no time, uh, you couldn't find a, a single silver coin anywhere uh, because they were all bought. So um, we're we're seeing primarily flows into the gold trust, um, but we're also seeing uh, flows in our gold and silver trust and the silver and our, our dedicated silver fund. So. Um, Different kind of buyers. Um, The the gold funds are are more institutional-driven. The silver funds are more retail-driven. The equities have been fairly quiet. Um, You know, as as Whitney said, we've had this incredible V-shaped performance recovery, and what that has—if you look at our mutual fund, the U.S. mutual fund—you know, it went from about a billion down to six fifty in assets, and now it's back over a billion dollars in a very short period of time. And over that period of time. We didn't really see a lot of activity. Uh, People were kind of sitting tight. They weren't redeeming. Um, um, And we expect that once people start to take notice of the performance, we'll start to attract some more capital. Um, We have had some institutional redemptions. Um, Not totally unexpected. Institutions obviously behave a little differently than retail investors, but we would expect that uh, we'll more than offset those with new sales and other products
5: okay that's
3: that's good color, thanks for that.
5: and then second question, just you know as gold prices climb higher here, and Kevin, can you maybe talk about the EBITDA margin benefit um, kind of what we should see across the
0: various segments? Sure, gary uh, so um, generally speaking, you know as the gold prices rise it's it's obviously going to be very positive to our to our operating margins primarily because a lot of our operating expenses um, uh are 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 fixed as far as um, our SG&A's and then obviously we've got a nice balance in terms of variable um, variable compensation items as well in the case that uh you know uh, heaven forbid gold prices were to move in the opposite direction but I I'd, I'd say what you're seeing now uh as far as total operating margins and and if you look at a slide uh sorry, page six of our, our md and we're kind of running at about 43% right now. I think it's uh, safe to say that uh, we could run uh, comfortably north of that uh, for the foreseeable future, assuming that uh, the gold markets continue to be as constructive as they are now, um, uh, putting us well within the, the top 1% of uh, uh, global asset managers.
5: Okay. And then, uh, Peter, um, can you talk a little bit about the increased equity originations activity in Q1, and I think also tracking kind of Q2, that activity continued, um, maybe outlook uh, in your pipeline for future deals as well?
2: Are you talking about the dealer revenue? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. I mean, Q1 was kind of a modest uh, uptick, and and just continued, uh, uh, I, I guess, what we'd call stable performance. Um, initially in Q2, there was a little uh, a little dip as as things went very quiet with COVID. But now uh, we've seen a substantial increase in activity. So I would say um, the private client group folks. Have never seen more incoming business. The dealer groups are reacting to uh, liquidity or in, uh, liquidity conditions in the deal markets, which all of a sudden in the last two weeks have exploded. Um, and uh, we we see this now as being a sector that's that's kind of being chased both from a, a client perspective and a and a deal perspective. Um, so. I would expect our private client folks in the U.S. to be kind of on the upswing, but it's a, a modest upswing because it takes a long time to, for them to, to realize uh, revenue benefits from clients, uh, whereas the, the dealer in Canada, which kind of syndicates into these larger institutional deals, should have an immediate uptick now.
5: Okay. And then just last question for me, uh, Peter, you mentioned you closed the second resource fund. and. Uh, uh, commented on robust pipeline for so your capital deployment language in your mdna, I think it's between one hundred to two hundred million uh, hasn't changed. Uh, are you expecting some capital kind of distribution from these funds? Can you help me um, uh, connect those those two points?
2: okay um maybe i'll I'll link with Kevin on this, but uh, I'll just explain it to you from my view. Uh, the lf one um, is winding down and paying out. And the last large loan in that portfolio was the loan to TMac, which announced today a takeover by Shandong Gold. So although the takeover will take a long time to, to close, um, the LF one has basically been uh, dischargers in the process of being discharged with with a very handsome return. That hits our numbers in a positive way because we're a big investor in that LP. Um, but it's had, as LF1 has has been repaid, it's it's been um, lowering our AUM on that side. LF2, the AUM, um, as we went from a fundraising focus to a deployment foca- focus, started to to click in Q1. So it was 60 million in Q1. There's about 250 million of, of signed term sheets and facilities that we expect to you know, deploy in the, in the near future, and then there's another three to 500 million of pipeline, and, and so that's now ramping up. It's impossible to tell exactly when the monies will be drawn, and I would expect that um, Just in general, and this is again a bit of a guess, I would expect that AUM to just just solidly and steadily move higher now going forward, even even as TMAC is repaid. Uh, So it's it's a fairly large fund. It's 820 million plus co-investment. So, you know, getting to a billion two or so deployed over. Um, two years, you've got to kind of go at the pace of around 400 million, 300 to 400 million per quarter. So th- those those numbers will start to override
0: what was there in the past.
3: So just to add a little bit of
0: color on top of that, Gary. So when Peter was uh, uh, mentioning those numbers in the breakdown, basically the 200 million that he mentioned first, which was essentially more like a a, uh, a firm commitment, so to speak, in terms of what is to come as far as capital calls is really what we would focus on in our outlook. And then to his point, the other 400 that gets to the 600 he was talking about is really uh, we, we don't have enough line of sight into exactly when those capital calls would occur. And so we focus primarily on that 200, hence the one to 200 range that we, that we disclose there.
5: Okay, uh, that that makes sense. I uh, appreciate
1: you uh, disclosing that. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Your question, please.
6: Hi, good morning. Um, just on your total AUM as it stands today, can you just remind me what the, the rough mix would be as to how much of that would be physical gold uh, and how much of that would be in gold equities?
0: Sure, uh, Jeff, it's Kevin here. Um just looking at my laptop here. Okay, so you're asking about the May 6 pro forma? Yep. Okay, so the uh, exchange listed uh, pro forma in that would be uh, 8.2, uh, the managed equities would be 2.3, so on and so forth. You'll see that on page 12 of the MDNA, and that's also, um, on uh, slide five of uh, the analyst deck today.
6: Okay. Um, and on the decision to get the dual listing, um, the, the, the rationale for that, was was that having a lot of investors outside of Canada that, that couldn't invest in the Canadian listing? Is it more of a known institutional or, and or retail tech demand? just wanted to get some color on that
2: well uh, in in general it's um us dollar reporting us dollar clients it's a, it's it's a us dollar based firm um you'd you'd be surprised still what a difference there is between uh, a larger cap stock that is institutionally accredited and can be bought in any market at any time versus a company that is Um, still supported by a lot of retail investors. A lot of those retail investors need specific approvals to trade non-U.S. stocks. And um, we were just finding that we were getting requests. Um, You know, I wish that you could come down and see us about this and that. And um, it just wasn't going to work unless we had the U.S. listing to support that. It's just... uh, it, it, it's where the greatest upside lies. It's where the greatest dollars lie in our business. Um, the investors appreciate the uniqueness of our situation a lot, a lot more in that market. Um, there's a lot more um, gold investors in general, so it, it just for us just made made sense. It's it's where our it's where the bulk of our future is
0: being driven.
6: Sorry, no. and, and just to add to
0: that a bit um, for you, uh, Jeff uh, about in addition to the majority of our clients and our funds being um, uh, us based uh almost 70% of our trading volumes actually uh have been occurring in the us uh otc so we actually see more um, trade activity and interest in our stock on the other side of the border than we do up here
6: and sorry, so this, this is another way
0: of just making access easier to the uh to quite frankly the the folks and institutions most interested in us.
6: And sorry, those, those comments around uh, wanting to be able to trade you more, that was coming from retail or were those coming from institutional investors?
0: Uh, probably more retail, uh, but a healthy dose of uh, institutions is making up the back end as well.
6: Okay. Um, and then just the, the last question I had was, on again, relating to the listing. Um, Are you aware, like, uh, on the listing, would you be qualified for any sort of, um, I guess, meaningful indices um, that you'd be added to? Um, And then what would be the incremental costs associated with the dual listing?
0: I I can handle the cost cost part. I can't speak to the the, the first piece, uh, unfortunately, but um, on the cost side, I don't expect it to be Terribly material. Um, we, we may see a slight increase in the SGA numbers you see in the corporate segment, uh, but that would be largely related to things like um, uh, uh, the fact that we'd, we'd need increased uh, DNO insurance, obviously, because the US tends to be a little bit more of a litigious environment, um, and the SEC requirements tend to be a little bit more involved than the OSC ones from a, a SOX 404 perspective. So we may see a little bit higher uh expenses there but uh, nothing that'll that'll move the dial much
6: would it be like maybe like 300,000ish type of thing or
0: it won't be much I, I i i can't get into specifics right now but uh you'll you'll see it through the numbers o- over time but i i don't think it'll be material
2: okay thank you in
0: terms of the first question jeff we haven't done the
2: research but um we're not counting on anything um what what are Our shares tend to to sit outside of most comparable groups, and um, it's more the fact that I think investors will look at us as a unique proxy to the uh, gold business itself.
6: Okay. Great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes to the line of Graham Ryder from TD Security. Your question, please.
7: Hi. uh, Good morning. Just with that... uh, New York, uh, US listing, uh, what's the proposal with the share consolidation?
0: Uh, it would be at, uh, um, it would Up be to 10 to 1. to one for 10. Yeah.
7: But that requires shareholder,
2: uh, shareholder Requires shareholder, require shareholder approval. So we can't comment on the exact number until that's done.
7: Got it. Okay. Um, and then you talked about product expansion um then you mentioned a streaming fund I think you said two hundred and ten million is that uh, would that be with in your lending bucket is that where the those assets would fall and uh what is the timing is that something that happens in q two or what how should we think about that
2: Well, it's a similar structure to the lending fund, but it's um not directly associated with it the It's a separate pool of capital has separate clients. It's managed by a separate team and it is deploying now so I would see that as just an ancillary business that is run in the same kind of structure, but takes longer-term participations for one thing uh, participations that have more upside and um, has a different set of clients and um, what I meant by how it's becoming an, in, uh, an increasingly important market is a lot of institutions don't like to see mark-to-market on their gold participations, whether uh, you know they're in the public market. They prefer the private markets, and uh, they're starting to uh, want to take project, these project participations directly um, at the asset level. Got it.
7: And so the 210 million—that's something that uh, I sort of committed that will build over time in terms of your AUM as it's deployed. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Ideally, it's the seed for a fund that becomes a 500 to billion-dollar fund, or, or maybe more. The, the thing about that—that that particular area—is it's 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 chunkier and it's larger than loans. So it's um, it's dependent on finding the right deals and the also finding the right investors. Got
7: a typical structure, you know, you'll have a certain co-investment alongside the the this fund.
2: Uh yeah, so the typical structure is the the fund would uh, drive uh, uh the initial participation and if the deal size was bigger, you'd have co-participations with the uh, with the LPs or with outside LPs. And um you know there's been lots of announced deals on the royalty side and on the streaming side, but one area of that market that uh, we think is going to grow are just uh, you know direct asset participations as well.
7: Okay, interesting. Um, there's a hundred and thirty three million of inflows in uh, I guess what you're calling your other bucket. is that like uh, your managed accounts business in the u s Is that what we're seeing there? No, that that relates seven. to uh, Hey,
0: hey uh, Graham. It's Kevin here. That relates to um, Korea. We we closed on a Korean fund earlier in the quarter. Uh, okay, okay.
7: And then just any update here? <clears throat> obviously, with the performance improving dramatically at the fund level, um, uh, what what about performance fees? Is there any color on sort of what you're seeing within uh, within your, you know, I guess your non. Um, or your performance-generating funds. Is there any sort of update there on how things are, are looking?
4: Uh, this is Whitney. Sure. I think you're talking yeah, about ahead. managed sure. equities. Um, I think in the md there's a, a page 11. It's uh, it, it sort of breaks down the various products and where performance fees exist. Um, uh, we uh, we launched um, about a little, little over a year ago, a year and a quarter ago, the, the Sprott-Hathaway uh, Joint Venture Project, um, Um, partnership. Um, uh, It is still small. The performance is excellent. Um, It generated uh, performance fees for us last year, Um, and we were splitting those with the TOEFL organization because it was just a joint venture then. That's now 100% under our roof. Um, And um, I'm very excited about its prospects, but it's still, as you'll see, um, a small product. Um, And then some of our Canadian mutual funds uh, have performance fee capabilities as well. Uh, again, those are um, sub-advised relationships under nine point, um, and there's a fee-sharing you know, arrangement that goes there. So, I'd say on the equity side, um, you know, performance fee business is still small but building um, and, um, and very lucrative when it works. Um, I'll let others address, my, you know, other products.
1: that answer your question?
2: Yeah, I uh, I think on the private side, again, these are um, generally five to seven-year funds, so you only see that performance fee date once every five years. We are um, not accruing for some, but we have some that are in the money in the lending fund. Now that the TMAC is unwinding and will be repaid next year, I imagine it's, it's fairly certain now that uh, Next year will be a incentive fee payday in the lending business.
7: So that's uh, that twenty twenty or twenty twenty
2: one when you say that? Twenty twenty one, I would think. Got it. Well, we don't know when the deal will close, but uh, it could be late late twenty twenty.
7: But you need that deal to close for that fund to wind down.
2: To unwind, it's a pretty significant position in the context of that fund. Yeah. Understood.
7: Um, and uh, can you provide any color on sort of what the embedded performance fees are sitting at within that fund? Uh,
0: unfortunately, we can't. Uh, we can't get into carry discussions or disclosures or anything like that until after we uh, get out the clawback period, which is essentially when uh, the funds would actually um, uh, close and unwind. Okay.
7: That's
1: it for me. Thank you. Thank you. This does conclude the question and answer session of today's program. I'd like to hand the program back to Peter Graskoff, Chief Executive Officer, for any further remarks.
2: Well, just in closing, we appreciate all of your support during this difficult time. Uh, We appreciate your interest in our company, and uh, we're obviously quite busy at Sprott. We look forward to reporting to you um, over the course of, of the year in what is now a a very exciting environment for us. So um, thanks for your participation, and, and have a good weekend.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your participation at today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. Good day.